Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 166 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening. It is mid-May, I guess mid to late May, and uh, it was a good week for the Atlanta Braves. And to talk about that and much, much more, the great Scott Coleman is here with me. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Uh, Yeah, as you said, probably the best week the Braves have had all year long when you take in consideration the teams they played and everything. So it was was nice to have the week they did. Certainly. Uh, You know, it didn't start off... All that great on Tuesday. Uh, it was kind of funny, you know. It was bookended by losses. Tuesday was the unfortunate one where they got just kind of bludgeoned in the opener of the week and didn't leave the best taste in anybody's mouth. But that, of course, um, prompted maybe to some degree them calling up Austin Riley, and the rest is history. They win uh, four games in a row, and then uh, before the loss today, that was not a terrible loss by any means. Just one that they, you know, that stuff, that stuff kind of happens. You give up a home run in the tenth, and we'll come back to that a little bit later, but I guess the headliner still of the week is probably Austin Riley coming up. We talked about him a lot last week with Joe Lucia, so if you missed that podcast, go back and listen to it if you'd like to do that. Uh, that was in advance of him being called up, and we didn't know that was going to happen, of course, because that was Sunday, and he was not called up until, what, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Um, but, you know, he's up now, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I know your full thoughts on Austin Riley being called up, so where were you a week ago with Austin Riley, and uh, where are you now, given that he came up and hit right away? Yeah, anytime you hit the way he had those two weeks or whatever it was in Gwinnett where he was homering basically every night, I'm sure that opened some eyes. Uh, so it seemed like, especially with Ender getting hurt, I, I want to say hurt in like air quotes because I'm not entirely sure the severity of that injury there. They might have wanted to just get Riley up while he was hot. 
but yeah, he, we saw how good he was in Gwinnett and then didn't miss a beat, homering in his first game and, and hit another homer. Struggled a little bit today in, in Sunday's game with some some high heat, which I think is the one area where teams are going to at least try to go to get him out. But incredibly impressive, pretty smooth uh, in the field as well, which is good, especially playing primar- primarily in left field, somewhere he hadn't really played before two weeks ago. So um, all good things from Riley. It's exciting. People kind of talked about him having a similar impact to what uh, Ronald Acuna did last spring whenever they called him up and how the team immediately got better. And you just see this lineup one through eight with him in it right now. And even without him, it was it was a pretty good lineup. But if he hits the way he has this first week, uh, this guy's the limit for this lineup. And, and I'd put it up against pretty much anybody in the in the National League. Yeah, obviously it's a it's a good looking lineup top to bottom when you put your best eight out there, and that does not include Ender at the plate, of course, and that's the argument that people are gonna have when he comes back. And I'm gonna ask you about in a second, but just just some Riley stuff here. Even with an 0 for four today, he still has a 221 WRC plus in 19 plate appearances, so that's a very small pretty sample good. size, but yeah, um, good. very good. Uh, slugging 789, which is uh, gonna work. Uh, I, if I had to say something about if you were worried about Riley at all, he has not walked yet. And he's striking out um, almost a third of the time. It's a very, very small sample size, but um, he's been pretty, uh, you know, bad is like five fifty or something like that. So uh, it probably is going to come, going to calm down a little bit in the near future. But uh, clearly, <laughs> he looks to be a major league ready hitter, which is kind of what we thought. Um, yeah. You know, and I guess we, we can talk about it now before we get into the rest of the week. What What do you think should happen? What do you think will happen when Ender is available to return? Because, um, you know, I'm kind of with you. I'm not 100% sure that he would have gone on the DL if if they didn't have Riley waiting. But I also don't know that to be sure. And he clearly was dinged up to some degree. He left the game previously. He he clearly has an injury of some sort. So when Ender is back in a week or less, uh, what do you do then? Because obviously... You're not taking Riley out of the lineup, I wouldn't imagine, but you also have a short bench as it is, and Ender is, um, you know, paid a reasonable amount for the next couple of years, and he's a guy who you, you aren't going to just part ways with. So where does he go? Yeah, I think with all things like this, they're going to work themselves out, and maybe that's kind of the cop out answer. But I think we'll learn over the next week or so as Riley continues to get at bats basically every night. Uh, we're going to see. Now, as you said, he's not going to continue to hit 450 or whatever he is right now. Nobody is, but. Uh, you know, he did show a little bit of a couple holes in his swing. I think the, at this point, the infamous knock on him, at least from Keith law, of ESPN is that his bat was a little slow on, on, uh, upper nineties fastballs. And he did get exposed a little bit today. I think he struck out three times, uh, missed a couple of fastballs up in the zone. So I, I think this time in a week, 10 days, see if Ender, uh, you know, again, we don't know the severity of Ender's injury, but I don't think Ender's in a situation where the Braves are going to flat out sit him and make him like a fourth outfielder because I, I just don't see them doing that at this point. Um, but I, I do think with the way that Johan Camargo has struggled, I don't think Camargo has done enough to lock down uh, every single start whenever they're facing a left-handed pitcher because uh, he, he's just struggled. He's been inconsistent. So uh, I, I think the, it's a situation where they're going to see where where everything's at in a week or two and evaluate from there. Um, kind of interestingly, Adam Duvall is going nuts in Gwinnett right now. And it has been for like three weeks now. Yeah, he's been yeah, very good. I mean, I think he leads the minors in home runs right now. Uh, so that that's another factor. I'm not sure what they're going to do with him. So, it, again, it's a good problem to have. It's not like we're sitting here trying to figure out who's going to hit cleanup for the Braves tomorrow. But uh, ultimately, they do have some decisions to make. And whether that means they do a little bit, not even a platoon, but something of a 50-50 split with Riley and Ender, Maybe that's something they look into, um, but ultimately it, it just depends on how long it takes 
Ender to get healthy uh, and how and how Riley continues to hit over the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'd be playing Riley every day. I said this last week on the podcast, but uh, if you call him up, in my opinion, you need to be ready to play him every day until you can't. And he obviously has not been a problem so far. So, um, you know, pro- that's just kind of the way I think about young guys. And I think people obviously reasonably disagree with me. That's that's totally fine as well in response to last week's podcast. But for me, he's a good enough prospect where if you're calling him up, you need to be playing him. It doesn't have to be every single day, but the vast majority of the time, Riley needs to be in the lineup, in my opinion. And yeah, we'll see what they do play. with under. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's got to play. Um, you know, in terms of roster spots and stuff like that, I think I have long been in favor of going back to a five-man bench, and that makes it even easier now with Ender, in my opinion. I think even today, um, there was a bit of weirdness we'll talk about later with Mike Fultonavich and his dizziness, but it was kind of a reminder that, you know, having a four-man bench is pretty weird um, already, and then, especially in the National League, and then you're talking about... Um, Ender is a major league player, and you know there's not really an obvious like DFA candidate that's on your bench right now. Like Matt Joyce would be the guy, but he's been good. He's hit this year, and that's why you brought him in. Camargo's been the only one that's struggling. Um, I guess you could option him um, back to Gwinnett, but that might not go over well. Um, honestly, maybe maybe you do that to kind of get him going and let him, let him play every day and find a swing again. But you know that's a guy who was a uh, basically an everyday player for you last year and was an above average player, like a three one player. So having him in the minors would be a little bit weird, but that also might be an option if they don't want to go to a five man bench. So a lot of moving parts. But uh, one thing's for sure is that Riley is going to be in there until he shows that he shouldn't be, and there's no signs of that right now. He's obviously played very well to this point. Yeah, you mentioned sending Camargo down to the minors, and, and that's an interesting proposition because clearly he's, as a guy who has played pretty regularly ever since coming up to the majors, he just doesn't look good. I mean, he swung at a ball that almost uh, that, that almost sailed over the catcher's mitt today. He struck out on a high fastball that was you know two feet above the plate. Um, he, he just hasn't looked right. And that, that's not necessarily his fault. I mean, as we know, he, he was somebody who was playing every day from mid-May on last year and, and, and hasn't played regularly at all. Uh, so maybe he would benefit from, from going down to Gwinnett for a couple of weeks, playing every day, getting right. Maybe an injury happens. The issue, of course, with, with sending Camargo down and replacing him with a, you know, an Adam Duvall, if, if you will, is then you lose your utility guy. If Charlie Culberson is the only person who can play around the field, I'm not sure you want to do that and lose his pinch hitting expertise. So, yeah, uh, I, it, I probably wouldn't do that. I mean, it's just an option. I'm not yeah. sure that I would do that if without, without a clear plan in place to bring him back, just because I think, you know, for all of. You know, we were definitely pro Adam Duvall on this podcast. Um, compared to the fan base, we got yelled out a lot for kind of saying that he actually did, he actually didn't suck because um, he doesn't. But um, Camargo brings a ton of value. I mean, I do think that some of that value is muted with the way that Snicker is not giving guys days off. He's the only guy that he's really treating like a guy who needs days off is Josh Donaldson. We kind of thought that we were going to see a little bit less of Marcakis, but perhaps even more days off for guys like Dansby and Ozzy, and we just haven't seen that. We've seen Snicker basically play his guys every single day of the week, except for Donaldson. And Donaldson is the one that they knew that they were going to have to treat, treat with a bit of uh, kid gloves. But part of Camargo's theoretical role this year was going to be filling in for guys as they tick days off, and he really hasn't been giving guys days off, which is kind of a problem in itself, in my opinion. But, you know, to be fair, when we were sort of envisioning his role, talking about Camargo now, I thought he would have played more by now. And yeah, part of that might be that he, that he hasn't been great, but also it's also role-based. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I think going into the season, I think most people had Camargo pegged for maybe four or five starts if everybody was healthy. You know, get him a start or two for Donaldson, have him spell Marcakis tonight, uh, Ozzy and Dansby, as you mentioned. Even even Freddie getting a breather wouldn't be the worst thing. Acuna, I don't think, other than once, is that so... 
again, you don't want to pull those guys from your lineup, but it's such a long year. We saw how gassed this lineup was by by August, September, and October last season. I am a little surprised. I think the inconsistent use has has not played well for for Camargo. And you know, last night he had to come off the bench and face Josh Hader after sitting on the bench for three and a half hours. That that's probably one of the hardest things in all the baseball to do. And as a guy who again played every day basically last year. Uh, it, it's not like a Charlie Culberson where he's been off, uh, come off the bench for three or four years now and knows how to kind of prepare himself at a moment's notice. Uh, when he asked, I, I was kind of surprised because, you know, I was there in Arizona for a handful of games and he looked really good. He looked like his old self uh, against the Diamondbacks last weekend, hit that that monster home run and, and yep. I think went something like three for seven with a walk over the two games. So I was a little surprised they didn't uh, build off that momentum because other than – uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think other than one pinch hit appearance and then Sunday, I don't think he played during the week. Yeah, I mean, it's he's just not playing very often. And, you know, part of that's the role, but it's just kind of weird to see, you know. And by the way, like as much as we we're kind of telling you that he's not been great this year in Camargo, Camargo has only had, I'm looking at it now, 98 plate appearances this year. I'm sorry, 102 because he played, he had four, he had four today. So 102 plate appearances for Camargo on the season. That's not very many. <laughs> uh, so I'm not saying he's suddenly bad. That's not what I'm saying. He has not been very good. Um, but it's just something to point out that it's a it's a pretty small sample size. For reference, um, everyone is convinced now that Charlie Culberson is Babe Ruth reincarnate, and he has three he has tw- 34 plate appearances this year. Yeah, yeah. Which is the third of what Camargo has. Um, obviously, by the way, Culberson's been out of his mind. He has a 221 WRC plus for the season. Um, that's insane. But uh, just pointing that out. Uh, we got more to more to see with Camargo, but you know, going back to it, I, I do think that you know having a lot of versatility that that he provides is very useful. It is less useful when he's not using it, like he's not playing. Yeah. I mean, I know he's he's played corner outfield, which is encouraging that he's able to do that, and obviously he can play anywhere in the infield. But he basically has been a backup third baseman for most of the season. We, we a couple of obviously outfield starts, but it's kind of weird the way that he's not been used everywhere else. And part of that, and I think the one that gets focused on the most is Marcakis because he has the very documented track record, track record last year of slowing down and kind of falling off a cliff plus his age he's the one that everybody focuses on not getting days off and I totally understand that um but it's not just him like Snicker is basically playing everybody every day except for Donaldson and that's a curious choice yeah and you know as we said it's it's mid-May so I'm I'm curious to see if we're having the same conversation in a month or two once the season really gets going other than that one stretch where they played 20 games in a row in 20 days or whatever it was, they've had a fair number of days off too. So maybe Snit doesn't feel the guys need a breather. Uh, you know, if we're having this conversation in the middle of August that these players still aren't getting any rest, I think that's a, a different situation after 100 and you know 100 120 games under their belts versus May when. Uh, for the most part, the schedule has been pretty, pretty reasonable. So we'll see. But I, I do think Camargo should play more than he has. I think it's it's uh, it's the reason he's struggling a little bit is because he's going three, four, five days without really seeing multiple plate appearances. And not just him. If any player does that, it's it's really hard to ramp up for one plate appearance every two or three days. So hopefully he gets going and, and hopefully they work him into a lineup the next couple nights. Yep, that's a good, probably a good synopsis of where we are. With that, um, we can look at the actual week that was. You know, I just wanted to kind of lead off with Riley because he's still the biggest story. I know it's been a few days now since he came up, but um, him and Enciarte is kind of the talking point in how the Braves lineup has been looking. But let's talk about what happened 
this week. Um, I mentioned before that Tuesday was not a fun day. Um, Fulte got blasted. Jesse Biddle got hammered, and then he uh, lost his job briefly. Um, Tuki Toussaint was then uh, coming back up um, to take Jesse Biddle's spot because he got, he got DFA'd. Um, and then Wednesday to Saturday went very well. So, you know, Wednesday was kind of the peak one for me. I know, you know, there were a couple of blowout wins, but Wednesday was kind of that you like euphoric feeling where Mike Soroka comes out and absolutely dominates despite not having like, you know, his lights out best stuff. He was really, really good. And then Riley bombs in his debut and that combination of just youth and exuberance and the fact that they won pretty convincingly was a, a fun night at the office. Absolutely. And you talked about how bad I actually couldn't see Tuesday night's game. I was way off the grid. So I looked at my phone for the it first time at, at like midnight <laughs> and saw it was 13 to four or whatever. I was like, well, you know, get him tomorrow. So you nailed it. I mean, Mike Soroka, we, he's just become so incredible. I mean, he's been historically good so far. Uh, what's he, you know, what's the number I think in nine of his first, uh, 11 starts or something, he's given up less than one run, uh, just completely shut down the, a pretty good Cardinals lineup. Uh, he, he's so impressive at his age, just pounds the strike zone, something that, that young pitchers struggle with so much, uh, so poised. And again, we always seem to say just you just pray that that shoulder holds up and he seems to be good now. His velocity's ticked up a bit after his after his first couple of starts. So uh, you're right. As fun of a game as it is, you, you see Soroka dominate for six or seven innings. Austin Riley hits the homer. Uh, it, it was a fun night all the way around. Yeah, that was uh, for me the peak, even though it was not the biggest blowout because um, – I guess Thursday was the biggest blowout. It was actually a 10-2 to victory. Very, very comfortable. Uh, had a good Julio Tehran, Julio, Julio Tehran I should say, uh, performance. And uh, that's very nice to see. He did have four walks. But other than that, Julio setting the tone is a good thing. And the lineup scored 10 runs, and which is now becoming sort of a regular feat recently. Um, with Freddie Freeman getting loose and Marquecas and Riley another big night. Um, a lot of positivity there to go along with that. And then Friday, a different opponent. And suddenly they're up 12 nothing. I was actually there on Friday night um, for a rare occasion where I'm able to sneak away from my home and go down to the ballpark. And uh, Friday for seven innings was awesome. And they won the game. It was 12 nothing. The offense was ridiculous. Josh Donaldson, Tyler Flowers, Freeman, and Dansby Swanson all hit home runs. Um, also Acuna, Albies, and Riley had multiple hits. as a 12-run barrage, and they just teed off on the Brewers in the opener. And then uh, it was 12-8. So from twelve nothing oh. to twelve eight in a heartbeat based on the bullpen, and uh, it was kind of funny. Like it's one of those nights where everyone is really mad and they won by four runs, but yeah. also also justifiable because it was so brutal. Like they also, I think the Milwaukee had the tying run on. It was either tying run on or tying run in the batter's box or something I crazy. Was, like it I was think, actually in doubt. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a situation where, I mean, it was a save for for Luke Jackson. So I think it was Which they had comical, two guys yeah. on. And the runner at the plate would have cut it on, cut it to within one. To one, and the yeah, that's what it was. Deck right. was the one on deck was uh, was the tying run, and and thank God Luke Jackson, who's been you know bullpen hero, Luke Jackson, uh, got that out because you're right. He I mean, did. you're 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 just kind of cruising, and then all of a sudden it's you know holy shit, they might they might you know you have flashbacks to that Red Sox game where all of a sudden you just kind of have a little PTSD, and and you think holy shit, they're surely they aren't going to blow this right. There were a lot of people on on the tw- on the Twitter machine that uh, had logged off at twelve nothing, and justifiably so. It was Friday night. Uh, no one no one gets blamed for logging off a twelve nothing victory, but it was like a lot of like, wait, what's the score? Uh, yeah, it's twelve eight, and uh, Jackson's in the game. But running down, I mean, on the bright side, beforehand, I mentioned the offense. Max Free was awesome, and uh, he ended up coming out of the game. And again, 
I don't, you know, there was some blame placed on Snicker's feet. I'm I'm always quick to do that, but this is not his fault. Uh, Max Free coming out of the game at 12 nothing should not be a problem. Um, I was totally okay with him not coming back in the game at 79 pitches when he sat for like 40 minutes yeah. because the Braves bottom of the sixth, uh, they scored nine runs and just teed off on Corbin Burns. I felt bad for him because he was just had no answers. Um, but, you know, people were talking about Free coming out. I'm like, guys, he didn't pitch for like, it was like 42 minutes. You don't put your young stud back on the mound in a 12 nothing game after 40 minutes, like that was totally fine. It was just that Josh Tomlin and Johnny Venters uh, combined to light the th- light the game on fire. Um, and unfortunately, as a transition here, if Tomlin's still on the roster and he's not been terrible this year. He just had a bad night. Um, Johnny Venters is not on the team anymore. Um, I tweet. I felt bad. I tweeted this. I think the next morning about how he wasn't a major league pitcher anymore. Just the way that his numbers were looking. I think he had allowed like 17 batters out of 31 to reach base and his ERA was like 15 or so and he got DFA'd and that that was the only move they could make frankly I I felt really bad about it because Johnny was of course awesome in his prime and then actually was really helpful last year at times but uh he's just not a major leaguer at the moment hopefully he gets back to it but that was kind of an obvious move I I do feel bad talking about it we should at least mention that it happened though yeah it's too bad and you know on Johnny as good of a dude by all accounts and to undergo the three elbow surgeries and come back the way he did. Uh, it's a shame. I mean, I, I would assume at this point, his career is probably over. He's, he's made a decent amount of money and, and, you know, he's up there in age and, and he's probably just a little relieved that his body hasn't, hasn't given up on him again. Uh, so it's, it's a bummer to see that, uh, Josh Tomlin's been somebody who it's kind of interesting when earlier in the year, when they really needed him, he was good. I mean, he was like the savior of the bullpen in April. And then lately he's, he's kind of come back to earth a little bit. Um, I think the good news is, is that you're, you're not relying on him in the seventh, eighth and ninth innings. Like they were in the middle of April guys have, have stepped up and gotten better. Uh, if, if Tomlin is your long guy or somebody who you're throwing out there when you're either up or down by five runs and it's not a super close game at that point, I, I think he's fine for that role. He's somebody who can eat innings, especially if they want to continue to use, uh, Sean Newcomb and Tuki, Tuki Toussaint as, as more of a bullpen weapon rather than just innings eaters out of there. So um, thank goodness they, they didn't end up blowing that game on Friday night and uh, a shame to see Johnny go. But as you said, it was it was probably time to to cut ties there. It was. It just had to happen, and I hope he gets it fixed. Um, but it just wasn't – nothing was working for Johnny. All right, we're, we're to come back in just one second. But between now and then, here's a word from the old sponsors. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Scott, we're back. And uh, 
Saturday was more fun than Sunday. Saturday was a little bit tricky in some ways because uh, the, the big swing of the night was, well, at least until the end, was Austin Riley with a two-run homer to take the lead. Um, that was kind of a shot in the arm. And then uh, Luke Jackson got really unlucky. Um, I will say that we, we've been pretty critical of the bullpen. Obviously, he's been very good this year. Luke Jackson has been since, since, since opening day, at least. But he got really unlucky on Saturday night with a couple of like weird chopper ground balls that had like expected hit percentages of like 10% back-to-back got through and that allowed him to blow the save in unlucky fashion. He did um, escape with the bases loaded and one out actually to preserve the tie though to keep the game alive and then Freddie Freeman walked off against Josh Hader which is a pretty impressive thing for a left-handed batter to do um, in the the 10th inning to win that one and that was the seventh win in eight games. Um, That was sort of a back-and-forth game and definitely you know it, it probably felt right to split Saturday and Sunday with Milwaukee to look ahead to Sunday in a second, but um, yeah. Saturday was a fun one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you look back on it, and I wonder what Craig Council was pretty pissed whenever uh, Riley hit the homer, and I think he was probably asking himself why on earth he let the soft tossing lefty face Riley. That was weird. Yeah, I, I mean, that was I it was like eighty five and down the middle. I mean, you give even. <laughs> I mean that that's that's about as center cut as you can do, and Riley crushed it going the other way. Um, yeah, as you said, it was, it was a back and forth game. I think Luke Jackson deserves a lot of credit because he should have been out of that inning. I mean, there was a four hopper over Freddie's head and a four hopper <laughs> over Donaldson. I mean, you couldn't, it was have, just you so unlucky. Bounced crazy. It. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, so for him though, to, to not let it get to him and settle down, I think he got a strikeout and a pop-up, uh, to escape the jam. And as you mentioned, Freddie hits a, a walk off against Josh Hader, uh, good on Luke for not for not crumbling in the moment. He's been so good uh, when the Braves really needed him to lock down the ninth inning, and that that wasn't his fault. You know, it's one thing if he serves up a hanging slider and and the guy crushes the ball. It's another if they just bait, it's like softball. I mean, that's kind of how you play softball, right? You just bang it into the ground and hope it goes over someone's head. So that was a fun one, and, and it did kind of take the sting out a little bit of Sunday's loss. Yeah, I mean, Saturday and Sunday were both kind of coin flip games. They were back and forth, one run games, tie games late. Um, and that's just, you're going to win some of those and lose some of those. And, uh, that's what happened on Sunday. Um, after the game, we did get some explanation, but if you watch this game or if you miss this game, I suppose on Sunday afternoon, there was some weirdness with Mike Fultonavich. He hit for himself, um, in the bottom of the sixth and then was removed moments later. And we were all kind of curious as to why that would have been. Um, I believe Mark Bowman even floated the fact that maybe they were uh, going to take him out because um, they had Jared Blevins warming up. And I guess they were maybe thinking that they were going to save a pinch hitter um, because of Donaldson's um, unava- unavailability. But then Donaldson hit, which is kind of funny. So that, that theory went out the window pretty quickly. And then after the game, um, Rice Sicker said that Fulte had dizziness, and I'm quoting directly there. Dizziness was the reason why Fulte was taken out of the game. I guess while he was hitting, he had, the, he had some dizziness. Um, believe that if you will. <laughs> it was just a really weird situation. I guess I understand that he probably wasn't feeling his best, but um, also some context here. Bowman said on Twitter after the game that the plan was to have Fulte throw to, throw to one batter in the seventh and then go to Blevins against a lefty. Um, so if that's true, I would have just taken full T out of the game anyway. I would have just hit for him, even if he was hundred percent healthy, um, with the way that he was pitching in the situation and he wouldn't, he would not have been hitting for me in the bottom of the sixth. That wouldn't have been crazy though, um, to let him hit. I will say that I would, I, I would have, I would have hit for him in that, in that spot. If you knew that he was only gonna place one batter, that's just my personal opinion, but at least we got an explanation that was not an injury and it was not just letting Fulte hit for himself for no reason. Cause that, but those were both on the table at, for a couple of innings there when there was a lot of uncertainty and neither one came to pass because, you know, if he just did, if he, if he just couldn't keep going, that's uh, it's totally fine and explainable. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was probably Weird. the biggest head scratcher of the week. Yeah, yes. I mean, Disneyness. Uh, okay, um, I, I don't know. And also Maybe. for some context, one more thing I should, I should have said this a second ago, but Culberson and, and McCann didn't, didn't play in the game, so it looks even crazier in retrospect. Like if you just like pulled pulled the box score up and didn't know anything. Like why did the pitcher hit for himself in the sixth when they had two two uh, bench players not even appear in the game? It just never would happen that way. And it wasn't like Fulty was like dominant either he was pretty good in this game and much yeah. much better which we, which we should mention but it wasn't like he was cruising and absolutely untouchable either well and he was at 67 pitches too which was weird yeah. and, and if memory serves the brewers i think it was like their six seven and eight hitters who were about to come up so uh just just weird all the way around i mean it, it obviously turned around to bite the braves a little bit i'm sure they would have liked to have a better 10th inning option than west parsons not that snit knows how the game is going to play out but just kind of weird. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Fulty was a little dehydrated, or I, I don't know. It, it seems like it was a little warm at the game today, but it was definitely uh, hot here today. And I, and I can't, I can't remember who said this, but apparently he didn't eat before the start, and that's maybe oh. an explanation for why he was a little bit weak. I'm not really sure why oh, why he didn't eat. Um, it was hot and humid today. I, I can confirm that as someone who lives here. It was like 90 ish degrees, and I'm sure it was not easy to pitch in the middle of the afternoon today. But uh, that whole thing was just bizarre yeah a little <laughs> weird. yeah and it was oh maybe he does have a short bench maybe he only has you know two players who he can realistically call on the rest of the game you know that's that's fine with the brewers bullpen but then as you said donaldson comes up and faces hater in the 10th and the other two guys don't ever appear so Donaldson hit, hit for flowers it wasn't like donaldson was hitting for the pitcher in the in the ninth like they could have conceivably ended this game with three guys on the bench yeah yeah <laughs> available yeah so it's weird Beats me. Um, I don't snip. <laughs> I mean, it seems like every couple of days we're good. We're good for a what on earth was snit thinking? Like we that could be like a podcast, like a separate podcast. I think to do. That, that, uh, that might be this podcast actually. It no. might be. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it's it's <laughs> funny. I mean, I, I don't I don't, don't want to pile on because of the fact that there was an explanation. I just tweeted immediately. Well, there better be an explanation for that, and there was. Uh, you know, whether you buy it or not is just kind of up to you. But there was an explanation for it, so that made more sense. Um, the other one that got some flack from Sunday was that Tuki was absolutely cruising and threw 16 pitches and looked absolutely ridiculous. And then he came out and they uh, went to West Parsons. You know, they, they did hit for Tukey, which is fine. I had no problem with that. I guess, was it you? Somebody was talking about how they should have uh, let Tukey hit for yep. himself. Yeah, I would, have, I would have let Tukey. And I, I think I said, unless there's a runner in scoring position, I would and there let was not. do the ninth. Just because you knew there was no Luke Jackson. They wanted to stay away from Newcomb today. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's all, you know, it's all retrospect. It's kind of what it is that, that happened. Tukey was great. He only puts, you know, he, he got hit for, which is a standard thing. It wasn't like that was a terrible decision. It was justifiable. You go to Jacob Webb, who holds down the fort despite allowing two hits, but then Wes Parsons allows a home run on that. I believe it was the second pitch he threw or first pitch he threw. Like it I think was, it was uh, the first pitch of the inning. Yeah, It was in a hurry uh, to uh, break the tie, and that was the end of that as the Braves went begging in the bottom half. But, you know, nothing terribly out of the ordinary along the way there you know just the better team won i guess in this one day and again a back to back to back coin flip games you're gonna you know win one lose one that's totally fine um other than the weirdness with faulty i guess the how the headline of the day is freddie freeman's 200th home run he hit four homers this week and 23 at bats which is uh really good obviously um you know i I believe it was uh it was 200 a day but he is now i think he has the highest wrc plus of his career to this point Granted, it's a very small sample size compared to full seasons, but um, Freddie's like been quietly awesome. And I think um, 
it's kind of funny how he he gets lost in a shuffle sometimes. He's just so reliable and always there, and um, he's been the guy for so long that you get focused on Acuna and you get focused on Riley now, and even the way with Marquez has been hitting, and Dallas is the new guy, and Freddie's just Freddie and awesome. Yeah, I mean, you can't say enough about the guy. I mean, year in and year out, he continues to do the same thing. I hope that uh, I hope that this is the start of, of all of his power coming back. And not that he wasn't hitting for power the last few years ever since the broken wrist, but it wasn't quite to the levels that it was before he broke his wrist. And uh, wrist injuries can be really bad. So if this is, you know, Freddie, he should be in his prime. What is he, 28, 29 right now? Um, if this is a sign of things to come, it's, he, he gets overlooked. I think partly just because of how insanely good guys like Cody Bellinger have been and how good uh, Christian Yelich was. And, uh, you know, he's probably an MVP candidate at this point in most seasons, but because those two guys have just been so insane, uh, he's going to get overlooked. But again, the guy's just so consistent, so good, hits the ball all over the place. Uh, you, you just can't say enough about him. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's well said. I mean, he obviously because of the two guys that you referenced, he's not gotten any of that early chatter. And it is, you know, it's not even more, not even Memorial day yet. We're uh, more than a quarter through the season, but not even to the third mark of the uh, season so far. But, you know, even looking at just raw war coming into today, and by the way, he homered today, so he's probably gonna be higher than this. He was uh, in a tie for ninth in the national league. Um, behind such luminaries as Paul DeYoung and Josh Bell, who probably won't uh, stay there. I would probably imagine. not. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, and Wilson Contreras, who, who plays uh, not that often and is still up there because he's slugging like a hundred, like a thousand. Um, anyway, Cody, Cody Bellinger's um, just as a sidebar here for the not of people that only just uh, follow the Braves, I understand. But Cody Bellinger came into today before Memorial Day with four Fangrass War. He's insane. In 45 games. He's on pace. Again, this is not going to happen, but he's on pace for like 15 war, which is like impossible even for Mike Trout. He's slugging almost 800. <laughs> he is, uh, I mean, as if the Dodgers needed another weapon, him going from like, because he was really good his rookie year, and then he was pretty good last year, but it wasn't like the step forward people thought he was going to take. I mean, he was still a really good player, don't get me wrong, 120 WRC plus, three and a half win player, but I mean, him morphing into like this superhuman is just not fair. It is not. Um, and by the way, the Fangrass leaderboard um, shows that the Braves have three guys in the top 27 of the National League. And number 27, Josh Donaldson, who, if you ask some Braves fans, has been bad or something. Um, I, I, yeah. Let's just, let's just leave it there. Yeah, uh, probably best. Okay, we can start landing the plane momentarily. Uh, you tweeted, actually, you tweeted something out that inspired this content that we're about to talk about on Sunday morning uh, about the Braves' defense. And that's something we, you know, gets, off, it gets often overlooked. We talk about it, I think, more than most do on this podcast, but we have broken down the rotation and the bullpen and the offense more than the defense this year. And uh, that's probably a mistake because that's one of the big reasons why the Braves are where they are right now because their defense has been really good compared to everybody else. Yeah, I mean, if if you didn't see it through, what are we at? Just over a quarter a quarter of the season, the Braves as a team are plus fifteen in defensive runs saved, uh, which is good for I think eleventh in all of baseball. Uh, but compared to the others in the National League East, the Phillies are negative eighteen, the Mets are negative thirty five, the Nationals are negative thirty one. Uh, I think the Marlins are like negative sixteen. So. You think about in, in 40, 45 games, the difference between saving 15 runs and giving up 35 extra runs. I mean, that that's pretty remarkable. That's a swing of 50 runs in 45 games or so. So, again, everyone thought the Braves' defense would be a strength, and it's been pretty good. I mean, I think they've even been 
a little sloppy compared to last year. I think the middle infield's been a little shaky at times. And Ender uh, wasn't like the superhuman guy that he's been yeah, where, where yeah, he got hurt. Absolutely. Yeah, you have a guy who's won a gold glove, what, three or four years in a row. Uh, and, and again, he hasn't been bad, but just the metrics don't love him. And he hasn't been, it at least didn't feel like whenever he was out there, uh, he was making the same defensive impact as he had in recent years. Maybe that's just, a, again, this is all pretty small sample. And, and uh, a lot of it is just opportunity to save runs and make good plays. I don't know. We'd, we'd have to uh, dig deep into uh, into his defensive chances. But, no, I mean, again, we knew the Braves were going to be a good defensive team. They have been a good team so far. And it's it's honestly, it's probably their biggest advantage over the other the three contending teams or three the teams at least trying to contend, uh, <laughs> even though the Mets are a mess and just got swept by the Marlins and might fire their swept manager. And by the Marlins. That's pretty bad. And it, with DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Mats going in three games in Miami. And uh, before the series started, Miami was 10-31. and 31. Yeah. Yeah, pretty bad. And the Nationals just can't. I mean, they've had some injuries, but just can't seem to get out of their own way. They'll win a couple games and they'll lose four or five in a row. And uh, well, you know, who knows what's going on with that. Well, but while we're here on Washington, um, it is staggering to me that the Nats are second worst in the National League and runs allowed. Wow, really? Yep, they are That's only crazy. they are only better than the Rockies, and the Rockies are the Rockies and play and play half, half their games in Coors Field. So, you know, among other things, the Nationals' run prevention has been the problem, and that was not supposed to happen when they have. Uh, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. I mean, they have what five hundred million dollars tied up in in those guys. More, and it's no, not just, obviously the team is more than just them, and their bullpen's been kind of a mess. But I, you know yeah. that I didn't I didn't realize that until just now when I was looking at the standings for the next segment that we're about to go into, and that uh, is jarring, uh, especially because look, I mean, you know, Scherzer hasn't been himself necessarily. He has a three point seven two ERA, but those three guys all have that's the highest. Strasburg three point three two, Corbin two point nine one. And they are still horrific. So it's yeah. basically everyone else that they have pitched this year, with the exception of Sean Doolittle, has been a disaster. Yeah, the uh, old friend Anibal Sanchez got kind of mercifully placed on the DL, their I IL mean, this not, past week. Not a surprise. He was awesome last year, but there was a reason why the Braves didn't want to pay him, and that's because it didn't make a lot of sense that he was going to yeah. do it again. Yeah, he's he's turned back into the guy he was the couple years before the Braves. I mean, there was a reason that he was a he was cut last spring, and, and then the Braves found something, and he was great, but as you said, I think there was it was telling they they had no interest in paying uh, real money for him anyway. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he signed a two year deal with an option for a third, so that's not a you know that's not a one year five million dollar deal for Washington. They're they're kind of stuck with him at least for another uh, year and a half. So uh, yeah, the Nationals are a mess. The Mets sound like they. I mean, I, I I can't figure out the Mets. I mean, defensively, we just talked about how bad they are, but that pitching staff, that lineup is pretty good. They have a couple of injuries recently, but. Uh, you know they they spend all that money on their bullpen. They they bring over Edwin Diaz from the uh, from the Mariners, who and Diaz has been pretty good. They just can't they just can't get a lead for him to hold. Um, yeah, they're they're a tough team to figure out. The Phillies just swept the the Rockies, who you mentioned. I think the Rockies led all three of those games and ended up blowing them, which is kind of a bummer. But um, yeah, the, the the East has not been at least at the uh, w- with the middle teams has not been as good as I think what most people figured. Again, it's still early. I mean, teams are a six-game winning streak away from being in fourth to being right back in the mix of things. But um, yeah, they've been the Mets and Nats have both been pretty disappointing so far. Yeah, and that's a good bridge to talk about. Just kind of where we are right now with the Braves overall. You know, they you know 
I think it was two weeks ago we talked about this. Uh, might have been you and I. I think it was you and I. Um, that the Braves had these these four series against the uh, you know Dodgers, Diamondbacks, and then these two this week with the Cardinals and Brewers. It was kind of a rough, a rough part of the schedule. Wasn't going to be super forgiving, and they um, you know it was a lot of ups and downs, but a seven and six overall performance. And that doesn't sound incredible, but that is really solid based on the competition level and the way things started. Because you know obviously they got they got pounded in L.A. If yeah. I told you at that point. That they were going to be seven and six on the uh, over, over these four series, you would have been thrilled. So, oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about the way they got swept in, and then they lose that heartbreaker. I think it was the first game of the Arizona series where they take the ninth inning lead, and then they're a strike away, and David Peralta hits the the tying homer, and then the next inning they lose. I mean, to lose so since losing those four in a row, they go seven and two. Winning three straight in Arizona, and then two out of three against the Cards and Brewers. I mean, that that's about as good as you could ask for. So uh, it was nice to see them bounce back and and kind of knuckle down after. I mean, again, that Dodger series was just a nightmare, um, and then to lose a, a heartbreaker the way they did in Arizona to bounce back and go uh, seven and two, and, and even as a whole seven and six. If we would have had this conversation two weeks ago and said, hey, they're going to go seven and six uh, over these next four series, I think you, I, and just about everybody else would have happily taken it. Absolutely, and that puts them uh, two and a half games out behind Philly. It got it got actually down down to one and a half, but then Philly, as you referenced a second ago, won all three over the weekend, so they're back up to back up two and a half games. And Philly is the favorite according to all the metrics. Um, they're basically consistently projected two or three games ahead of the Braves um, by all the projection systems. That doesn't mean all that much. It's baseball. Things are weird. The Braves are projected somewhere in the mid-80s in terms of win total. That number has gone up in the last week or so, obviously, with the way they've been playing. But, um, I mean, looking ahead of the schedule a little bit for the next week or so, they have four in San Francisco, which the Giants are not very good, but... It's a road game and things. I mean, it's a road series. Things get kind of weird on the on the West Coast for the Braves sometimes. But they're they're not very good. They are, in fact, they are second worst in the National League in run, in run differential, ahead of only the Marlins. Granted, they're a lot ahead of the Marlins because the Marlins are absolutely terrible. But the Giants are not very good. And then they go to St. Louis, who obviously just came here this week. So, you know, a bit of a breather on on paper. In terms of of opponents for the Braves, um, you know, again, it's on the road, so anything anything can happen. Before a really truly bizarre off day on Memorial Day, I can't remember the last time the Braves didn't play on Memorial Day. It's like really weird to me, but they don't play next Monday. Yeah, that's insanely dumb. I don't get that at all. I don't get it. It makes no sense at all to me. Um, I guess they don't have to play at home all the time, but just not playing a baseball game on Memorial Day just well, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know. And they don't so. play Memorial Day, and then they have two games against the Nationals, and then they're off again on Thursday. So they Yeah, it's just a really weird week. They, in, in the Nationals that Sunday before are in at home against D.C., so it's not like they're flying some crazy flight to get from D.C. to Atlanta uh, with a day game. Yeah, that, that's bizarre, but, I mean, to, to hit on the Giants, I mean, that's a series. It's hard to say in baseball, as you said. Weird things happen, but they need to win three out of four in San Francisco. I mean, this well, they're just better than – I mean, they're just better. The, the Braves yeah. are – you know, we're not always, you know, dyed-in-the-wool optimists on this podcast. They they are better than the Giants by a big enough margin where you need to go in and take, take care of business there. That's just the way it is. Yep, and, and as good as the National League is, basically every team besides Miami and San Francisco or anywhere from – average to really good across i mean there's no it's different the american league where you have a couple of super teams and everybody else kind of sucks like there's two bad teams in the national league right now and one of them is in your division and they're five and one against miami which is good but you have to take advantage of the giants because this lineup isn't very good 
the pitching they have, I, I think they'll see uh, Bumgarner on Thursday afternoon, who's been pretty good. But besides that, nobody they're facing is is all that great. I think someone's making their debut against them tomorrow night, and it's a lefty, so we should get to see uh, kind of the, the the Death Star lineup for the Braves against lefties, the way they've hit them this year. So, uh, again, you don't want to say they must win three out of four or sweep, but uh, they really do. If you want to win the division, if you want to be in the playoffs come October, you have to take advantage of these series, and you have to win at least three of these. Yeah, and they should be able to uh, you know hold their own against St. Louis as well. So we'll see how they fare in the next week. Um, on a, on a scheduling note, briefly before we get out of here, um, I probably will not be able to record next Sunday. Um, I have some family health stuff. And just without getting too deep into that, I have to travel. It, lo- it looks like, it, anyway, it's probably a 90% chance I have to travel um, this weekend. I will be in a rough spot in terms of recording. So we may not be able to come back until the fall, probably the middle of the following week. So maybe we'll have a little bit off of uh, on the schedule. And maybe I'll talk Eric into switching with me in terms of uh, post times for Ro- Road to Atlanta. So it's a good time to promote Road to Atlanta. They, those guys have been killing it with uh, the draft coverage on the way. Also, the minor league coverage. Eric and the crew have done a fantastic job. So if you're looking for more minor league coverage, it is definitely going to be there. Um, occasionally we'll do it on this podcast, but because Road to Atlanta is on, on the same feed, and uh, I'm not very smart on minor league coverage, um, follow those guys. And occasionally we'll do a crossover when Eric comes on the podcast, or we'll have somebody, um, you know, after the draft, we'll talk about some, some of that stuff on, on this podcast. But, but for the most part, draft and minor league stuff, visit Road to Atlanta, because those guys are going to be coming, and please subscribe onto that on this feed. Scott, you got anything else coming your way? I have not written anything big in a while, but maybe you have, or you have something in the works that you want to promote. If not, please tell people where they can find you on the old Twitter machine. Huh. Uh, yeah, last week, I, it was pretty fun to write. Uh, looked back on uh, kind of the Braves' history of guys homering in their first Major League games, and that was that was fun. So I think it was before Austin Riley did it. It was Evan Gaddis. Jason Hayward, of course, did it. Uh, Jordan Schaefer, shout out to Jordan Schaefer uh, and whatever he may be doing in life. Uh, he uh, he was there. So that's worth looking at. I think that was on, uh, I'm guessing, Thursday. Uh, but other than that, I'll be on recap duty the next couple nights on the site because of the late start times. I think all the games start at 945 on the East Coast. So uh, put your coffee on and stay up and hopefully they win a couple games because I got to tell you, Brad, recapping those Dodgers games was not a ton of fun. No, uh, you know, I think it was basically you and me that were up to the end of those, and it was not a lot of fun. So, yeah, yeah. Any, anytime the Braves get blown out on the West Coast, just just pray for Scott because he's the only yeah. one awake by the end, probably. Um, if they're you getting can blame hammered. me, yeah. And uh, it's yeah, it's either blame <laughs> blaming you or feeling bad for you or both or some combination of the two. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, you know, West Coast games mean mean, mean a lot of Scott on the on the uh, website. So check that yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, as always, Scott Coleman fifty five on on the Twitter machine. I like that Twitter machine. Um, yeah, and of course, talking chop and BT Roland. Is that right? That is me. If you want a lot of NBA coverage in, in the next couple of weeks, and then it might slow down a little bit for a while after the finals. But, um, is yeah, there any I, chance? Is there any chance the Bucks beat the Warriors? I got to ask my NBA guy. Is there any chance? Uh, yes, I would not pick the Bucks, but uh, they have a chance. Uh, nobody else does. Um, but uh, yeah, they ha- they they've had a chance throughout. They've been really good actually. Without going to full NBA here, the Bucks have been the best team in the league this year. Now that does not mean that they're better than the Warriors because they're not. But they they were really good from like wire to wire. So they they'll give them a, they'll give them a series. I think it's gonna yeah. be fun. And then we gotta I gotta shout out my St. Louis Blues, uh, a game away from the Stanley Cup. They haven't been to a Stanley Cup since 1970. Um, they've been like last year. Not to go too not to make this what's, the what's, NBA what's, the what's NHL. What sports do they play? 
What sport is that? Uh, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, they play the best playoffs in American sports. I do like I do like the hockey playoffs. It's just funny because I I can already tell you that like two thirds of our listenership does not give an absolute bleep about um, probably either basketball or hockey, but definitely not hockey. True. Yeah, it's funny. We'll, we'll have to like talk like NFL draft or something like that in the next one to balance <laughs> yes. it out because I know or college football. Uh, we can preview the Alabama Clemson national championship game uh, for the ninth year in a row or whatever it's going to be. So um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, good stuff there. Yep, and uh, you know, plenty more content going on on this particular podcast. So please subscribe. Please tell a friend about the show, and we'll, we'll be back. Maybe not exactly one week from now, but something in that range. And uh, we'll see you guys then. <laughs>